Morning, everyone. It is Wednesday, the 15th of June. Marcus, what have you got for us overnight? Morning, Ben. We have Wall Street down 152. At one point, it was up 174. Spy Futures down 40. And our market's been down 47, currently down about 40. And our 3.55% fall yesterday. I would just note that our market rallied all day yesterday. But this morning, we are dead in the water ahead of the FOMC meeting, which is tonight, 4 a.m. our time, I think. And we're not doing anything until then. The volumes, I believe, are very low to today. And I'm not sure anyone's going to make any big decisions till the FOMC are out of the way. The themes overnight were all to do with interest rates. Bond yields in the US uh, have picked up the 10 and two year uninverted. They only inverted briefly the night before last. But the 10 year now, the Aussie 10 year is now 4.076%, over 4%. You do wonder if banks use market interest rates for particularly fixed rate mortgage rates or setting fixed rate mortgage rates. You do wonder whether mortgage rates aren't going to go from under 3% last year to possibly double that in a year's time or so, which will obviously scare a few people. That aside, the main newswire theme overnight was that the chances of a 75 basis point rise from the FOMC tonight have gone from 3% a week ago to 30% two days ago after the CPI number and are now up to 89%. So expecting a 75 basis point rise tomorrow, they're rhetoric will, of course, be important. And the market's beginning to factor in two 75 basis point rises in the next two meetings. By the way, a 75 basis point rise from the Fed tomorrow would be the biggest single one meeting rise since 1994. Our market's now down 13% from the top. S&P 500's down 22% from the top. NASDAQ's down 33% from the top. Oil, metal, iron ore, all the commodities generally weaker overnight. Resources a bit weaker as well this morning. Banks are leveling out quite nicely. Bitcoin's down another 4%. There is a crypto crash, which has happened already, really. It's down 67% from the top now. Some stocks which are seeing some rises today, which are quite interesting because at some point, the market will bottom and people will be looking for which stocks to buy. Macquarie's up a little bit today. Fortescue's also up a little bit today. Has been a terrible performer in this recent fall. And the banks are up a little bit today. So tech stock's still down. Afterpay, sorry, I'm stealing your thunder here, Tom. Afterpay, I think I've got a strategy day today. We've got Bank of Japan on Thursday, Chinese industrial production retail sales today. And that's about that. They're all on hold, waiting for the FOMC tomorrow morning. Yep. Tom, anything more to add on what's happening today? Thank you, Ben. Yes, I'll just fill in some of the blanks. Hawkish comments from Phil Plow yesterday. Also, he spoke with ABC there, adding to some of the risk-off feeling today. And Goldman calling for three 50, point, 50 basis point hikes from the RBA in the next three meetings as well. Financials and utilities, the only sectors in positive territory. Big four banks are all improving. As Marcus said, we had APRA today outlining its macro prudential framework saying the banks need to have systems in place to limit high risk loans. That seems rather obvious. ANZ also understood to be considering a bid for Myob. Healthcare and tech stocks continue to feel the brunt of the sell-off. Hub 24 down 2.3%. They reiterated a platform growth target for FY24. 
Atlas Arteria ALX down 3% as reports come out that the IMF bid or IMF is in no rush to bid for the company and weekly consumer confidence off 7.6% now at levels not seen since April 2020 when everyone was concerned about the pandemic. Very good. Thank you, Tom. Lots to take in there. Leighton, what's happening in the broker's world today? Thank you, Ben. More bank commentary out this morning from Quick Credit Swiss. They've updated their view on the banking sector and noted that retail banks have fared much worse over the past week than business banks with Westpac, CBA, NAB and ANZ all down more than 10%. ANZ is the broker's preferred of the big four with NAB coming in second, then Westpac and CBA finishing it off. There's been no changes in the recommendations. ANZ has the only overweight recommendation. The others are all neutral. And their target prices are around 15 to 20% above the current share prices. But the target price for ANZ Z is $30.80, which implies about a 40% upside. And also looking at James Hardy Industries this morning, that's JHX. Macquarie believes that James Hardy is positioned for a tough market and believes it is still supportive of renovations activity. The broker recognizes the macro outlook may not support James Hardy over the short term, but there is meaningful opportunity once conditions settle. And they've got an outperform recommendation there with a the target price that came down slightly to $56.35, which implies a 75 upside. Very interesting. Very interesting. Thank you, Leighton. Christopher, what have you got in your trading section today? Thanks, Ben. Just letting everyone know, of course, that we exited all of the positions yesterday and removed any risk that we had off the table in the trading section. Today, I'm taking a look at Hub24, and I wrote this up before the announcement this morning about their fund. This was a market darling there for a while. It rose from $6 in March 2020 up to $35 in October 2021, and then has rolled over sharply. Lower fund growth, adding less advisors to their network, negative market movements and margin compression in what has become a very competitive space has seen that share price roll over. And it begs the question, are the conditions about to get better or worse for not only Hub24, but a lot of the wealth managers? And I think at the very least, we're not likely to see a repeat of the conditions that led to the fantastic share price growth anytime soon. So a difficult outlook for Hub24 and the market reacting negatively to that announcement today. Just on the back of that chart this morning, I had a question in the Facebook group and it was basically about looking for technical signals of when to get back into the market. This was a question from Nick. And I would just say that uh, we need to be driven by the evidence, technical, fundamental, whatever method you choose. Uh, as we always say here, Marcus, today, you don't predict, just react to the evidence when it comes in. So there are no technical signals just yet to jump after. Very good. Thank you, Chris. Henry and the beep. What are you up to today? Well, I'm up to the beat, really. It's been an interesting morning. I've had the electrician in this morning. And in the newsletter today, I have the electrician's view of the RBA because he was privy to me recording the podcast and the video this morning. So he had some interesting thoughts on what the RBA is doing. Of course, we did see last night Phil Lowe on the 7.30 report uh, talking about inflation, something that we flagged a week or so ago of that 7% print after I listened to Sarah Hunter from KPMG talking about her working through the inputs to inflation. Of course, we have inflation on a quarterly basis released as imposed to others that have it monthly. So next reading is July 27th on that. Also last night, I was at the AIA. There we go. There's my friend. The AIA last night, which was fantastic to catch up with a few familiar faces for that their meeting in Chatswood, which was really well attended and uh, some great questions from people. But it was very much focused on inflation, very much focused on the bear market, what's going to happen, how high rates are going to go, 
when the market is going to bottom. But people seem to be relatively sanguine. And even yesterday, when our market dropped like a the proverbial stone, um, the market actually was relatively calm at the lower levels. And as Marcus said, it did spend the rest of the day kind of rallying up. The futures in the US helped, of course, but um, it wasn't too bad. Today, we're seeing a bit more of a loss again. And yesterday, I sold some of the dogs in the small caps and also sold out half of my hedge position in BBOZ, rightly or wrongly, but it did look as if it had been a little overdone. But I still think we're still struggling to find that bottom. But certainly, there are some bulls and there's some bears out there. But the volume is very much drying up at the moment as everyone remains on the fence. But the electrician's view is definitely worth listening to or reading because um, he had some interesting things to say about what the RBA is doing and put it very succinctly. And what was that, Henry? Well, basically, without... He's the man in the street, he's the man on the Clapham omnibus. And, and basically, he said, you know, well, the RBA said that the rates weren't going to rise till 2024. So everyone's gone out and borrowed to the hilt. The government has told us to go out and enjoy ourselves, spend money and spend the stimulus because that's what it's there for and to promote the economy. And now the RBA is saying, no, 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 you can't possibly do that. We're going to put up interest rates because we're worried about the price of lettuce and the price of petrol. Now, RBA putting up interest rates to kill those new home buyers that have borrowed up to the hilt in the last five years on the back of the RBA saying, go out and borrow, guys, is not really going to put any kind of handbrake on petrol prices, energy prices, or the price of lettuce or food, which to some extent is a derivative of those high energy prices. So he was somewhat puzzled why the RBA would want to kill the economy and kill all these new homeowners on the basis that they were trying to rein in the cost of lettuce, which does seem a little bit, you know, obviously the RBA only has one tool at its disposal, and that is a blunt force instrument. And I said to him, it's a bit like chemotherapy. If you have cancer, you hope that the chemotherapy works before it kills the patient or before it kills you. And that is obviously what the RBA is doing. I also pointed out that bear in mind that we have yet to even reach 1% on interest rates in this country, official interest rates anyway. And that in Europe, despite the fact that their economy and their uh, inflation is over 8%, Germany came in at 7.9% the other day for May, they have yet to actually go into positive territory from the ECB. It is still a negative rate. You know, it's it's a blunt force instrument to really whack inflation when inflation is being driven this time by something that is somewhat different. It's not being driven necessarily by demand. It's being driven by supply and that fuel problem that we have, which is a direct result of the Russian-Ukrainian war to some extent. So he was somewhat puzzled and I guess uh, he was also somewhat concerned. He wasn't a new home buyer. He was of a 45-year-old vintage, but he certainly was concerned for some of the young people that had bought and leveraged to the hilt to get a, a step on the property ladder in Australia. Yeah, and you do wonder, I mean, he makes a very good point, maybe we should employ him, <laughs> but you do wonder why the RBA are reacting when the elements of inflation that are running above average inflation at the moment include petrol prices, airfares, transport, hotels, all yep. post-pandemic issues, used vehicles, new vehicles, again, pandemic-induced, energy, obviously, food at home. Well, no one's got any sympathy for people who are ordering food at home, and furniture. And those are the only ones that are operating above average 
average inflation. And those are not things necessarily that uh, interest rates are going to have an impact on. And, and, you know, what is perverse as well is the New South Wales government. I don't know what it was like in Victoria, but they give us vouchers to go and spend on hotels. So you can guarantee that the hotel prices have gone up. The regions are buzzing because more people are getting out there and discovering uh, tourism in the regions. And we get a $50 from Dominic to spend on a hotel. So, you know, it's like first time by grants being uh, elevated. That just pushes up prices because now you've got a bit of a, um, a freebie. So, you know, it's it's questionable. And the same applies to the US, how much they can control inflation with only one really blunt instrument, which is interest rates. The point I'm trying to make there is all those above average elements are either Russia inspired or pandemic inspired. So it's not an, a cyclical economy thing is usually why you'd move the monetary policy around. Anyway, there we go. Yep, very interesting uh, conversation there. Marcus, what have you got in strategy for us? In strategy day, well, we did everything yesterday. We cleared out the ideas portfolio. I think we kept the proxy for the Chinese market ETF. That was about it, uh, just to make the point really, and cleared out the strategy portfolio to cash. We had an ETF over the S&P 500, one over the NASDAQ, one over the ASX 200. So just going to cash, just to make the point, you really have to assess at times like this, after things start to accelerate lower, you have to assess whether it's likely, what the themes are and whether they're likely to persist or it's just a blip. And my assessment was, uh, it looks like they're going to persist. I think it's going to take us months to get over our inflation, interest rate and recession uncertainties. And I think the Fed are probably going to go hard tonight and set the mood uh, for at least the next month. And it's not going to be great. So out of the market, um, sitting back. uh, And the article today is about how to handle a correction. And I'll let you read that. But the bottom line is that we should welcome these exploitable moments. They are the fabulous, the exponential, irrational, exuberant bits at the top of the market and the fearful, despondent capitulations at the bottom. The extremes are the best opportunities and they're what make the market worthwhile for active investors. These moments of stupidity, absurdity, farce, ridiculousness and nonsense are brought on by people's irrational fear and irrational exuberance. We should expect them, look forward to them and use them, not avoid them. So any good investor watches and exploits the herd. So don't join the herd. And that's really what the article is about today. And that's about that. I mean, we're on hold for for the FOMC and we'll see if they perpetuate this trend, which is what we're set up for or bounce it. I think even if they bounce it, I think bounces are going to run into resistance. Certainly plenty of headwinds around. Yeah. And we'll finish with the question of the day. I think it's going to be a one with split opinions today. And that is, is there a price where you would buy Bitcoin, Tom? I think if Bitcoin got to $1,000, I'd have a look just to play around and say I've got one because who knows, it could it could be worth a million dollars. Layton? I've already lost money in the crypto market, so I'm a little bit tentative. But more aggressive than Tom, I think if it got down around 15000 then I'd have a look at starting to maybe buy in. Chris? Nope, too hard to value. Fair enough. Henry? No, it's a massive Ponzi scheme. Marcus? I'm slightly disappointed, Tom and Leighton, that you would pull a number out of your bottom <laughs> at which you think Bitcoin would be a buy. I think Bitcoin's a binary decision. You're either having an accepting, you're having a complete punt on something that's unvaluable, or you just avoid it completely. And obviously, I'm in the avoid camp. I don't need to be betting on crypto or might as well bet on the Irish beating the English at rugby, which 
they won't. I'd go a somewhat similar path and say when every single person is saying Bitcoin is dead, I'll buy a little bit just in case. Yeah, actually, Tom made this point earlier. Half of the stock market, when you've got companies with no earnings, half the stock market is, well, there's no value to that company anyway. So you're really just trading the herd sentiment. So if you want to trade the herd sentiment, yeah, if it gets itself into an absolute hole, I, think, I suppose you might. I think if you bought on headlines that said Bitcoin is dead and you sold on headlines that yeah. said Bitcoin to a million, you'd probably have done pretty well over the last yeah, 10 years. Yeah, but you can't pull out a thousand, Tom, and you can't pull out 15,000 as a marker in the sand. You've got to wait for the moment where Bitcoin jumps 20% in a night and that's the night you buy it. Haven't you seen Tom's Bitcoin models and he's got a whole pricing yes. formula? And... Bootstrap. <laughs> no, we used to have an employee when we're in the financial planning business who had made money out of Bitcoin. And when we got upset with him and said, you've got to stop talking about Bitcoin because it's distracting other colleagues. And if you so much as mention Bitcoin to clients, it's outside the AFSL. You just can't do it. And he said, well, excuse me being obsessed, but I've just made $250,000 out of $5,000. Of course, I'm interested in it. And of course, I'm going to talk about it around the water cooler. And you sort of think, well, yeah, who's That'll the smart one? <laughs> the smart one very good thanks guys very interesting see you tomorrow thank you